Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Today we are in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob has approached the promised land. He has left his uh, covenant ceremony with his uncle Laban. And um, he is approaching the promised land. He has set apart a gift for his brother Esau. Remember, he had stolen the blessing from his brother Esau. And so in an an act of attempted reconciliation, he has given a gift uh, as what he owes to Esau for what he stole in stealing the blessing. He has separated his family into two groups so that if Esau is approaching with an army, maybe at least half of the family will survive and God's promises can be maintained with the the surviving family members. He has sent them on across the river and we pick up here where it is night has fallen and Jacob is all alone as we read from Genesis chapter 32 beginning in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man said, what is your name? And Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Let us pray. Our great and holy God, as we approach your word, we ask that you open our ears, Help us to hear you. Help us to hear you speak through your word. Open our hearts. Help us to love you more as you reveal yourself to us in these words. Open my mouth so that I might speak in a way that your people are edified, that your people are challenged, that your people are convicted. And help us to be changed. Open our lives to the guidance of the Holy Spirit to lead us more and more into holiness and sanctification, to lead us more and more to trust you in our lives as we gather around your word today. Lord, speak, speak to us. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. In Sunday school today, we talked a little bit about Martin Luther as an introduction to our Sunday school class. Uh, We do a little bit of a a refresher on an event or a person in church history. Martin Luther was our person today. And as we looked at how he understood scripture and how he taught other people to understand scripture, the author of the of the uh, biography that I read said that there were three things that Luther saw as essential to understanding and to teaching Scripture. 
The first is prayer. If you ever read a biography of Martin Luther or or watch a movie about his life, you'll see that he spent a lot of time on his knees in prayer. He talks about um, beating importunately upon the words of Paul in the Scriptures. And he did that through prayer. The second thing is meditation. For Luther, the Scriptures, the Word of God, were the beginning and the ending of all his study. He was steeped in Scripture. He knew it backwards and forwards. And he immersed himself in the meditation on the Word of God. And the third thing that he saw as necessary for understanding Scriptures is something that sounds odd to our ears. Because it's tribulation. It is suffering. Luther had many health issues. He had kidney stones, recurrent kidney stones. He had severe constipation. And one of his biographers is uh, quoted a very graphic quote that Luther had about his severe hemorrhoids as well. Not only did he suffer health issues, he suffered for what he taught. In 1521, a price was placed upon his head that was not removed until he died later. He was called many names. His writings were attacked and pilloried uh, every time they were published. But Luther looked at Psalm 119.67 that said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. And found that the psalmist found deeper understanding and love for the word of God and understanding of that word of God through his sufferings, through his tribulation. Today we're going to look at some suffering that Jacob experienced. Experienced at the hands of God. And, and look at how maybe he came to a deeper understanding of who God is and how that encounter with God changed his life. So first, let's look at Jacob's encounter with God. Jacob is alone. It's nighttime. Remember in ancient Near Eastern literature and even in, in much literature today, the sunset is a signal that something dangerous is about to happen. And so Jacob sends his family on across the river before him and we're told that he is left alone there and he is attacked by the man. This man instigated a fight with Jacob. And Jacob wrestled with this man all night long and it was an even match. But we learn something through gradual revelation in this story about this man. We find out for a little bit that the man was a, a very good wrestler. Then we find out that he has power, power to touch the hip of the socket of Jacob's hip, probably somewhere along the sciatic nerve uh, in such a way that the hint, the hip is wrenched out of socket and there is permanent damage to Jacob's hip and sciatic nerve and tendon in the hip. And then we learn later as he blesses Jacob and as he replies to Jacob, when Jacob says, please tell me your name, he replies, don't you know who I am? That's probably the more literal translation of there where the man says, why do you ask my name? In blessing Jacob, in damaging Jacob, in saying, don't you know who I am? And, and in Jacob's response, I saw God face to face. We find out that Jacob is wrestling with God. Jacob is in a match for his life as he wrestles against the angel of the Lord, God, God in a pre-incarnate state, whatever you want to call it, Jacob wrestles with God 
and lives, or as he says, my life was spared. Now this brings up a couple questions, or this brings up a pretty big question. We worship an all-powerful, omnipotent God, do we not? How was Jacob able to hold his own against God in an all-night wrestling match? Well, the, the answer can be found in two places. First is in the doctrine of accommodation. The doctrine of accommodation, you know, if you go onto a hotel site, you book accommodations. It's the same word there, but a different meaning. God reveals himself and interacts with his people in a way that we can handle, in a way that we can understand. God is glorious. Moses says, and we're, we're told here by Jacob as well, but but Moses tells us that we cannot see God face to face without the danger of being destroyed. Why would we be destroyed if we were to see God face to face? He is holy. Not only does he have holiness, he is holiness. He is the standard of holiness. He is perfectly, righteously holy. He is all glory. He is God. We are broken, sinful, fallen human beings. And the glory and the power of His presence, if we were to experience it in its full force, oof, we would be destroyed. So God accommodates Himself to us whenever He reveals Himself to us. God is spirit, and yet we hear that God is a strong arm. God's horn of strength is our sure foundation. God speaks about Himself in ways that we can understand. God mitigated, God lessened, God restrained His glory and His presence so that Jacob could handle God in a wrestling match. But we also know through our study of the Scripture that God provides strength for Jacob. John Calvin says that God enters into the match with Jacob as his adversary, but also as his defender. The great paradox of the Christian life is that many of the tests and the trials that we receive come to us through God's hand, but also come to us with God's strength to see us through. And so Jacob wrestles with God and he sustains because of this doctrine of accommodation and because the good God gives us strength to see us through sometimes the wrestlings that we have with him. At the end of the match, as daybreak approaches, the man touches Jacob's hip at the tendon, causing great pain, eliminating any advantage. This, this wrestling is not what we see on television through you know, world wrestling entertainment. This is more of that Greco-Roman style wrestling that you see in the... Uh, uh, Olympics or maybe a judo where you need that hip as a pivot point to throw or to pin people. Well, that hip has been yanked out of socket and all Jacob can do at this point is to cling, is to grab, is to hold on tightly to this man because he realizes there's something special to this man. This is not an ordinary man that he's wrestling. The great strength that Jacob had Remember, he lifted the stone by himself that the men had to wait at the well to, to, for other people to come to help them lift. And Jacob lifted it by himself. That strength is gone. He has nothing else left except to hold on to this man and he begins to realize who he has. And he says, bless me. 
Now this idea of blessing, remember, Jacob has tricked Isaac out of his blessing. He has tricked Esau out of his blessing. And Jacob here has missed his match. And he understands that true blessing can only come through the Lord, through God. And so he clings with all his might. He holds onto the neck or the waist or the shoulders, whatever he's grabbed onto on this man. And he says, bless me. And the man says, tell me your name. Names in the ancient Near East are different than names that we have here. You know, I have a name, John Isaac. I'm named after my father and my grandfather on the Hughes side. Isaac is a name that has has flowed for many generations through the Hughes, at least 22 or 23. And so I am given a name because it's a family name. Names during this time were given for character traits. Sometimes your name was changed because of your character traits, or sometimes, as in Jacob's case, you grow into your names. What does Jacob mean? It means trickster. It means schemer. It means one who grasps at other people in kind of a thieving, lying way. What is the man asking of Jacob? says, tell me who you are. Confess to me who you are. Confess to me who you are. And Jacob is left there with God saying, I'm a thief. I'm a trickster. I'm a con man. I cannot be trusted. I'm a liar. That's who I am. And the man looks at him and says, no, not anymore. I'm going to name you Israel because you have struggled with God. Israel actually means God strives or God struggles. And the picture here is that God strives on Jacob's behalf. Remember, the nation that this is being written to has taken Jacob's name. They are the nation of Israel. They are the nation of on whose behalf God struggles in this world. They are the nation on whose behalf God fights in this world. God says to Jacob, you have striven, you have struggled with God, and you have survived. And if you can survive this, you can overcome anything. Esau coming down the road towards you with 400 men. You've got this because you have struggled with God. Life ahead of you that you're unsure of in a land where you'll be a stranger until you're taken to Egypt because of famine. You've got this because you've struggled with God and you've lived. And how has he lived in this? Well, it comes there when Jacob names the place Peniel or Penuel, depending upon uh, which translation you have. It's two forms of the same word. What does he say there? He said, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. That that word, that phrase translated was spared there actually shows up earlier in the passage in the chapter in Genesis 32, verse 11. What does Jacob pray? He says, save me, I pray from the hand of my brother Esau. Same word translated spared. There in verse 30. Jacob needed saving. 
But he didn't really know what he needed to be saved from. You know, it was important for God's promises to come to fruition that at least his children survive the encounter with Esau. But what Jacob needed, what we all need, most importantly, is to be saved from God. Sounds odd, doesn't it? Sounds odd to say that this benevolent, all good, all knowing, all loving God that we think about is somebody we need to be saved from. But we do. Because if we met God face to face on our own, we would be in trouble. The most perfect form of accommodation that God gave us was his son. Who came to earth and, as John says, took on flesh and dwelt among us. We see God's arms, we see God's face, we see God's feet in his son. And the work of his son was to save us. From God. See, sometimes we don't know what we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from God. So what do we see about Jacob here? We see that he was spared. God did the work to spare Jacob from himself and from the judgment that God could bring upon him. Secondly, his heart was changed. Jacob enters into the promised land a different man, not just because he limped, not just because he had spent 20 years in outside of the promised land in the clutches of his uncle, but because his heart has finally been changed. We've seen this process begin throughout his time away, but now Jacob enters the promised land knowing, to be cliche, that God's got this. God's in control, and no matter what happens to me, I am His, and He is mine. This face-to-face meeting with God is the culmination of a 20-year journey from self-reliance to faith. So where do we go with this in our life today? Have you ever heard anybody say, and I know they do this with the best of intentions, God will not give us more than we can bear. Imagine that night. Imagine you're Jacob and you're wrestling with God. Is that more than you can bear? Sometimes life just beats us down. And sometimes God beats us down in life. Not because He hates us. Remember in Hebrews it says, God disciplines those He loves. He is trying to show us something. And typically what he is trying to show us is that we have no hope except for him in this world and in this life. And yes, sometimes that is more than we can bear. Why? Because my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is shown in weakness. Paul learned the lesson the same way Jacob did, except instead of wrestling with God for a night, he wrestled with God over the expanse of his ministry. I prayed with God three times. Take away whatever it is that is causing me to suffer. And what was God's answer? I'm enough for you. Whatever weakness you have, that's where I am glorified. Whatever weakness you have, that's where my strength is shown. Whatever struggle you have, whatever wrestling you have with this world, 
That's where God is powerful. Some of us feel like we have been wrestling with God for years. Why? Because we don't cling. We don't grab. We don't hold on for dear life and say, bless me. We try to push him away. We try to say, all right, God, I've got this. You're not going to give me anything more than I can handle, so I'll do this on my own. I don't need you if you don't give me anything any more than I can handle. And God says, trust me. Hold on to me. Cling to me. Let my power, let my glory be shown in weakness. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was asked one time how he could tell somebody was truly a Christian. He thought for a moment, he looked at the man and he says, the true Christian walks with a limp. Jesus has saved us from God. Hold on to that. Cling to that when all else seems to be dragging you down. And when it seems like you've been had your hip ripped out of socket. These trials will leave their mark on us, but they are trials given to us by a God who is good, a God who has loved us, a God who has given His Son for us. Cling to that. Cling to Him. Hold His arm of strength when you go through life with a limp. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your strength. We thank You for Your trials. Help us to cling to You. Help us to seek Your blessing. And help us when we walk through life with this limp to be reminded that You are glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name.